1: You don't just go somewhere new, you repel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation, this is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All
0: right, uh, just before we go to Frank Sarvalli, I wanna bang off some texts. Uncle Milt has texted the show regarding uh, 50 years since where were you in 72. Uh, Bob, Paul Henderson belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I was working for the CIBC in the basement of the Students' Union building on campus. Watched the games from Russia in the barbershop next door to a bank. Hard to believe it was 50 years ago. Uh, Dwayne says, uh, Bob, I was in grade four at St. Alphonsus in Edmonton. We all gathered in the gym to watch it. Thought it was the coolest. Randall says, I was in the third year of U of A. Randall, I think I was in the third year at the U of A for about six years myself. But anyways, I digress. Was working part time downtown. We watched the final game at a small uh, 12 uh, black and white telly. Not many shoppers that day. And again, you can text us at 780 496 0063. We'll bang off more uh, than those. Our next guest. Uh, he wasn't around in 72. He, he looks older than he really is, but he knows his stuff. He is our Oilers Now headliner today for Wilhawk Beef Jerky. just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhawk, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. We've had several people text the show to say that Phil Esposito's speech galvanized uh, Canada after the Canadians were booed off the ice in Vancouver. And no surprise for me that that happened in Vancouver. We welcome back to the show Frank Saravalli. Frank, uh,
2: how you doing? I am good, yes. Was not around in 72, although I look like I was. And uh, my favorite story from 72, just to hear some of those guys tell it, obviously we know Bobby Clark breaking uh, Harlamov's ankle. The best line came from Phil Esposito, and he said, I was really mad at Clark. He said, why didn't you do it in game one?
0: Yeah, and, and and you know what? That's that's that was kind of acceptable back then. We got the point. The other story is they thought the one I laughed at is they thought that they were being bugged. They thought there was a bug on the floor, on, uh, under. They were checking, and and so one of the guys went and grabbed a. Uh, he had like a little. I guess we call him like a Swiss Army knife or whatever, and he he went and they lifted the rug up. And started undoing these these and these screws, and they thought it was for a bug, and then a chandelier dropped in the floor below them, so they weren't <laughs> being bugged. In. It just because nobody trusted, you know. what, Let's face it, nobody trusted the Soviets then, and guess what? There's not a lot of uh, appetite for the Russians right now internationally either. It's a crazy time, uh, and and if, you know you're an American, um, and I'm trying to do the math here. Nineteen eighty—that would be what forty-two years. You were—you weren't around for that one either, were you?
2: No, I wasn't. But um, it's amazing to think that the U.S. still hasn't won gold since. Lots of opportunities.
0: Yeah, uh, and there's this mythology that—and it really upset me when I watched the movie Miracle because they made the Canadian team out to be a bunch of thugs. And Canada had the exact same type of team that the Americans did. They had a bunch of guys from university, and, and they weren't from Michigan and Boston University, or, or sorry, Minnesota and Boston University. They were from Alberta and the University of Toronto. And Canada had a very good record against the United States going into that tournament. So, but the, And I will tell you this right now, uh, Frank, because I was 14 in 1980. We were cheering for the Americans. Once Canada was out, we wanted the Americans to beat the Russians because we were still in the Cold War at that time. All right. Uh, let's, let's start on the Oilers A week ago you stated That it is still possible that we could see A trade between now and the start of the regular season Potentially involving yesa Pugliarvi I've had multiple people reach out To the show today saying that uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman from The Athletic Has suggested a trade still feasible And I don't, Hey Frank, it is, it's as simple as that The Oilers have cap issues Have you heard anything further on that front?
2: Nothing new to this point. Um, It's clearly something the Oilers, you mentioned the cap issue, and that's one of the easiest ways to, you know, free up potentially some salary cap flexibility if you're moving the player for a pick. I don't think that was ideally what they wanted to do. Um, You know, even going back to the beginning of the summer or in June before the draft, they wanted to get a player probably of similar – I guess history, if if that's the proper way to phrase it, uh, someone that you know may have had some trials and tribulations in in his past, but has upside that they could potentially squeeze the potential out of. So that probably has gone by the wayside. And if you're bringing someone else in, you'd need to account for that on the cap as well, and it makes it a little bit more difficult. So um, I think it's something that they continue to uh, to look at and, and probably have a list of, of possibilities. And I think part of it, too, will depend, Bob, on where things stand with some injuries. Like, you look at some of these teams going through camp, um, I don't think Toronto's an option because they have their own cap issues, but another injury today to John Tavares. They're, They're starting with, you know, three, four key guys on the injured list, and that's no way to start a season. So I wonder if there's another team out there that potentially has some cap flexibility that's dealing with an injury that, would like to get off to a better start and, and maybe see if they can pull the best out of yet to So
0: here's the thing for me with, with Paul Jarvie, Yar- uh, Frank. It, you know, in 17, they drafted him in 16. He started the year here, ended up down on the minors. I know in 17, 18, and I'll share this because the coach is now in L.A., and that's Todd McClellan. So we have a private broadcaster's meeting after every uh, game day morning skate. And I know that, like, I was like, you know, just kind of stick with him. But the kid was, like, 19 at that time. And and even as far as, you know, the second opportunity after Ken Holland took over, he went over back to Finland for a year, returned, and, you know, it was decent during the 2021 season and decent start last year, and then it just, you know, fell. There's, I get the sense something. what is the value for the player out there, do you think?
2: That's the hardest part is like what makes you comfortable you know obviously there's a lot invested in this player in the draft and then at a certain point um, that had waned and then there seems to be some significant pressure from the fan base as well you see it on your text line he's a really popular player um, and I don't think it's necessarily for his personality although everyone is, is interested in the Bison King phenomenon um, I, I think they look at his underlying numbers and metrics and say, this player has a lot more to give and perhaps, you know, might not be utilized properly. I don't know that, that that's the case. The one thing that I keep coming back to in my conversations with teams about a player like Yessi Pugliarvi is, is hockey IQ. Does he have the IQ to really get to that next level uh, with his, his skill set that he does have and possess? Um, perhaps, you know, some of that can be learned when I think about value to answer your question, like I kind of see him in the, in the third round pick range at the moment, but I I don't know if they're going to be able to get it.
0: Well, I believe, you know, We both know they had a third round pick this summer for him, and fans would have lost the the strong Poliari fan base would have lost it if that's all the orders they could have gotten a third round. There was a team that moved to third and fourth and got, frankly, a better player than Poliari for that. Uh, And there was cap considerations. This team went out and got a better higher ender player, so they wanted to move sort of a mid range guy. Um, It's interesting to me with with Jesse. I mean, Frank the other night against Winnipeg. I mean, Winnipeg dressed. Seven NHL regulars. The Oilers dressed six, and Paul Yarvey did not impact the game at all. Like if you were in the building, you would barely. And and you're thinking in that situation, that's. And I know it's just preseason, but come on, you're playing against twelve American Hockey League players. Like you that's know, when you want to dominate, and there was none of that. So I'm going to be intrigued to see how this plays itself. And and you're thinking the best bet might be a team that's like I look at uh, Anaheim. To me, makes sense. I think Seattle in the past nudge nudge wink wink all over Bjorkstrand. I think uh, Seattle in the past maybe made some sense. I right. some people have said to me, "What about Carolina? Because he played with Sebastian Aho, you know, and they are an analytics-driven team. It's interesting, but is it fair to say maybe he doesn't have the value, of Frank, that some of the fans think he does?"
2: I think that's totally fair, and I think part of it is it's also not just the player; it's also what. The market has dictated because Bjorkstrand was the exact guy that I was thinking of. Like, what an absolute steal for Seattle to step in and get him. Columbus was dealing with a cap crunch. Like, I couldn't believe for the numbers that Bjorkstrand has put up and somewhat consistently. That's all they were able to get in return. And I think when you then look at Pujarvi, he's got to be lower on that scale. And teams point to that in terms of market price and say, well, if Bjorkstrand gets you this, this is what. Paul is going to bring you, and it's not really probably to the Oilers' appetite because if it was, they would have already made the deal.
0: Yeah, uh, it's going to it's going to be intriguing to watch because otherwise, there's going to have to be some gyman- uh, gymnastics on the cap. We are joined right now by Daily Faceoffs, Frank Saravali. Frank, uh, what do you think the biggest is there any concern around the league about where we're going to be here uh, cap wise? Like, you know. Eighty-two and a half this year—it's already set in stone. Eighty-three and a half, but some people thought there's going to be a significant jump, and boom, lo and behold, we ended up with a a pretty discouraging story out of Sinclair regarding uh, Bally Sports, and that could potentially. And do you not do some work for Bally Sports, by the way?
2: I do. Yeah, Um, they're national—one of their national hockey insiders here in the U.S., but. When you think about Bally, there's also the potential, if the NHL purchases it and knows what to do with it, that it could bring in more revenue for the league rather than less, because some of those regional TV deals aren't generating a whole lot.
0: And the problem, there's 12 NHL teams on regional Bally deals. I believe seven of them are, are getting money in revenue sharing. So there's a double crosser there. All right. Which team? I
2: know. Hey, well, can we go back to revenue for a second? Because I wanted to add, uh, throw this at you, given that we know now, according to the NHL's projections, that the salary cap is expected to rise in two seasons' time. So not next offseason, but the one after. Yep. And it's pretty significant. Sources have indicated to me that I've seen the numbers and projections that we're looking at potentially a $9 million increase in the summer of 2024.
0: I don't see if that happening.
2: Okay, but let's, let's say that those projections are spot on and, and they could get there. The league is thinking that between jersey ads and helmet ads, we're, they're talking over a, a few years span hundreds of millions of dollars, um, which could be optimistic, might not be. But if that is the case, wouldn't a team like the Oilers and any other team that's close to the salary cap now Instead of a one year bump where everyone rushes to spend the nine million in one off season, because that's generally how these general managers would treat it, you use up all the space that you can. Wouldn't it make sense to put in a, a two or three year period where you smooth out such a significant increase and knowing that two years from now you're going to have a nine million dollar bump instead? You know, next summer in 2023, you make it three million, and and three the year after, and three the year after that. Like, wouldn't that be way more beneficial for teams as they go through this process?
0: Um, yes, that would be prudent. I would say nine million would be optimistic in terms of a bump, but you've talked to sources, your guy. I mean, I, I had a couple pro guys come in to, and try to and, and tell me if this continues with Bali and the NHL can't get it rectified because the money in the regional deals goes to the respective teams, it's going to drive the valuation up on first round picks as well. Because you're going to because you're going to have a tighter cap and you're going to need a cheap labor source and the best available cheap labor source is your own first round picks. What do you think?
2: makes sense to me. I mean, I feel like in some ways, first-round picks, for whatever reason in hockey, have always sort of been undervalued, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. How Let me. How good is... i, I got to ask you this, because there seems to be some guys that think that Jack Hughes is a top-ten player in the league. Am I missing something here with this guy? Like, I don't see it. Not a top-ten player yet, in my opinion. Um
2: made a significant stride last year and and really lived up to the significant contract that he signed um i think he still has a ways to go and and that's not to say he can't get there because i think he has the ability and the talent it's going to come down to a consistency factor for me um but I, I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility. I just don't think he's there yet.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, there's no question it's going to be really interesting. So uh, as to as to who to watch right now, what sort of movement takes place? Are the Philadelphia Flyers now in a position where they're, you know, they're going to be spent? They can go out and take on a player or two because they've got a guy like Ellis that's going to be on LTIR all season long?
2: Well, they accounted for Ellis in the signing of Tony D'Angelo. Okay. Um so that money was kind of eaten up at that point. The big question mark is Sean Couturier and his massive cap hit in the first year of an eight-year contract. Um, now, the cynic would look at that and say, had you known now what you, you know, then when you went through this process in the summer with, with Sean Couturier's injury, could you have potentially made a play for Johnny Goudreau and and would have not had to trade away um, a contract and, and paid a significant price to do so, which the Flyers weren't willing to do. Uh, could you have, you know, revisionist history? Would they have done that? I don't know that that would have made sense then, and I still don't think it makes sense now, but it's at least worth considering the question what happens if Sean Couturier's season is over? What happens if his career is over? Uh, those are two really meaningful pieces wow. for the Flyers that obviously wouldn't be in the lineup, but more than that, you, you now need to deal with the cap. You know, fallout and how you go about backfilling
0: it. Is Travis Connecting available out of Philadelphia?
2: I believe he was this summer. I believe just about anyone on the Flyers was available this summer. Um, you know, I, I, he's he's an interesting player because you know a couple seasons ago, you're thinking, okay, this is a guy you know right in that fifty point range. What more does he have left to give? and you look at the the edge that he plays with in the sandpaper, that he he could be a really intriguing player with that type of skill set. He hasn't lived up to the consistency factor. Like The unfortunate part for Travis Konechny is that he goes a couple weeks where you don't notice him. And then there's a few games where not only do you notice him, but he's the best player in the building and and one of the most impactful. So um, it's it's hard to gauge and judge. I'd like to see how this year starts, but, you know, he certainly was available, and the Flyers had engaged in some conversation with teams uh, about a player like Travis Konecki, and I believe Ivan Progorov and some others.
0: We're joined right now, yeah, that's a, that's another interesting one. We're joined right now by Frank Zeravali, Frank, Chicago Blackhawks. Is Kyle Davidson done there? I mean, we know that it, they're starting the year with Kays and Tain. Do they finish the year with Kays and Tain?
2: I believe they'll finish the year with Jonathan Taves. I don't think Patrick Kane. Um, look, we we've talked about this last week, the idea that you know Patrick Kane's in a spot where he let them know, I, I don't want to be traded right now. Uh, I'd like to go through the process, see how the year unfolds. We know where we expect the Blackhawks to be. Um, but he wasn't ready to move now. I think a big thing for Patrick Kane is, is not really seeing how the Blackhawks start. It's seeing how these other teams that might potentially be interested start their season, which ones emerge as the true Stanley Cup contenders, which teams have hiccups. There's always, every year, Bob, one, two, three teams that are entirely unpredictable, good or bad, that I think he wants to be real certain of before making that type of move, um, wants to hedge his bet appropriately. And the interesting thing for me with the Blackhawks is they're looking to take on contracts. They're a team that has tons of salary cap flexibility. A true blank slate for Kyle Davidson. If you look at their cap two years from now, I think they have 17 total million dollars committed, which is absolutely unheard of. Uh, they've got tons of space. They're willing to take on some of these bad contracts from teams, and they're willing to do it before the season starts. They've let everyone know.
0: Uh, by the way, it's tough to pick champions in in September. Who'd you Are have we last gonna year? Are going to go there now? Well, no, i got to read you this text. Uh, this text comes in. It is an uh, Edmonton number. Bob, if Frank Cerevalli is suggesting that the cap might go up by $9 million in 2024, 20, uh, I'm sorry, Bob, but I'm going to listen to him before I listen to you in regards to anything on the inside of the NHL. No offense, my man, but you just ain't that guy. That text comes <laughs> into us. So, hey, thanks to my Uncle Brian for keeping me honest there, Frank. Uh, who'd you have last year again? Oh, we had to go there. So
2: I had Winnipeg last
0: year. Okay, and who did you have That's in That's right, the... and yes, they did not make the playoffs. And you gave the Oilers the the kiss of death in the fall of 2017, too, right? Hey, I've had I've had the Oilers, you know, 50-win team a year ago. I'm disappointed they only got 49 wins. I, I was really thinking they could get to 50. I think Edmonton's going to have a good team. Uh, do you think it... I don't know. Do you think it's going to be active here out of the gate, or do you think it's going to be tepid with movement around the league? My guess is pretty tepid. I
2: think there's been a number of teams that have been looking and charting who might be available on waivers uh, where there's some access uh, at some positional spots uh, for certain teams coming out of camp. I don't see a ton of value there, at least in terms of the names that might be available, including some guys that you know are on PTOs and will probably sign deals. I think some of these deals with PTOs are already cooked. They're just waiting to get to – uh, to closer to opening night in order to, to sign it. So I don't expect a, a, a flurry of activity, maybe one or two interesting things here or there, and obviously still a few contracts to sign and some, some whoppers, including uh, Jason Robertson
0: in, in Dallas. What's the most interesting story out there right now in the NHL, do you think, Frank?
2: Um, I don't know. There's a lot. Um, I, I would say it's, it's really based on. Um, you know, some of these situations, like a Winnipeg, for instance, like if you look at where that team was at this summer, the lack of moves that were made, and then stripping Blake Wheeler of the captaincy, like Kevin Cheveldayoff came out last week and said, I believe we're a playoff team. Um, it's certainly possible. They have a lot of the pieces there to get there. But I also think that, you know, with the way that that team slogged itself publicly in the last few weeks of the season. Um, basically now heading into the year, not making any changes other than a new head coach and Rick bonus who has uh, all the experience necessary. And then some, and seems to have a real positive approach. It feels like someone has sprinkled gasoline around that team and you're just sort of waiting for someone to, to flick the match. And you could see that certainly go up in flames. It feels like it's going to go one way or the other with Winnipeg. Either they're going to be really good or they're going to be really bad, and I can't tell which one it is. Uh, I think there's a number of teams that are sort of right in that um, mushy middle, at least uh, in the West. Um, Like, what Nashville team do you get? Are you getting uh, a Matt Duchesne who's scoring 40 goals, or are you getting the Matt Duchesne that we saw uh, the last few seasons?
0: Yeah, it's. I'm with you. I'm not quite sure what we're going to get there. I think the central beyond Colorado has got some significant questions. Frank, love it. Let's keep doing it uh, and keep driving. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot. See (laughs) you. That is Frank Cervalli from Daily Faceoff. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. It's 1255 in Edmonton. We'll take a quick time out. You heard Frank Saravalli mention John Tavares. Sheldon Keefe saying that Tavares will be out the next three weeks with an oblique strain. Sting. You can tell when a guy gets in at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, from Seattle. And, um, hey, Brendan, did you like how I worked in Kay's and Tane? Yeah, <laughs> that was... Um... That was quite the slip of the tongue. <laughs> well, it's tough to do, let me tell you. If you're looking for a great Oilers road trip, you can join Oilers now in New York City this November to see the Oilers play the Rangers and the Islanders, plus a chance to watch the famous Macy's Thanksgiving Parade. This New York package includes airfare, five nights at a Deluxe Hotel and Times Square, lower bowl game tickets, and a welcome reception with yours truly and special friends. You never know who's going to show up. We've had multiple Hockey Hall of Famers at these events over the years, as well as general managers, head coaches, and players. For the Orders Now and media individuals as well. For the Orders Now, New York City hockey tour, reach out to newwesttravel.com. We head off to a global news, weather, traffic update with Eileen Bell. Second hour of Orders Now, Brad Holland, Orders Assistant GM, coming up.